you look at Philippians chapter 1 with me, I'm so thankful uh, for the message of uh, this song and the reminder tonight. You know, I love Wednesday nights. Uh, I don't know about you, but Wednesday, middle of the week, we get worn down, we get tired, and oftentimes we just need that little bit of encouragement to continue to be faithful to the Lord in the middle of the week. And uh, I, know it's a, I know it's a sacrifice oftentimes after you get off of work to be able to be here. And so let me just say what a joy it is uh, to be able to say that we're faithful in the Lord. Uh, in moments like that. And so as we look at the book of Philippians, I'm just reminded that Paul uh, wrote the book of Philippians from uh, a Roman jail. Uh, Paul uh, also took time to be able to explain the joy of the Lord. And matter of fact, many commentators say that joy is the overriding theme of the book of Philippians, which reminds me that our circumstances don't dictate our joy. And you know, as we consider that, a rejoicing Christian is one of God's best advertisements. You know, and someone who can rejoice in the midst of the trial, truly, we all go through trials, and truly, we all go through, through uh, things that are difficult, and, and every human desires to be happy, but many seek happiness apart from the Lord. And when that happens, we see that nah, there's no joy there. Joy is like your shadow. You run after it, and you will never catch it, but you keep your face to the sun, S-O-N, and it will follow you. I'm so thankful for the joy of the Lord. I'm thankful for the book of Philippians. And true joy is a byproduct of our relationship with God. And so let me just invite you as we begin to look in the book of Philippians that, that even as we see the introduction of the verse 5 verses here, that God reminds us that our relationship with, with Him produces joy in our life. Everybody needs a certain amount of money to survive in life, right? You've got to have a little bit of money to be able to buy your clothes, buy your food, buy your house. And it'd be nice if we could just go to our mailbox every morning and, and find an envelope with $1,000 inside. Who thinks you could, you could live on $1,000 a day? Well, that would be suffering for Jesus, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be, that'd be pretty bad. I'm sure we could find a way to survive some way, somehow on $1,000 a day. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. You know, uh, if we're faithful at our, our job, if we... Uh, at the end of the week, we receive wages for our work that meet our needs. In other words, money is a byproduct of hard work. We can spend our lives wishing we were happy or hoping that something fantastic would happen to us that would bring joy. But in, in reality, joy comes as a result of our obedience to the Lord. And so let me just point you to Psalm 16 and verse number 11 here on the screen tonight. It says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of of joy at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Did you catch that? At thy presence there is fullness of joy. Are you close enough to God to experience the joy of His presence in, his, in your life? Are you walking at His right hand enjoying the fellowship of His company? Because that is where joy is found. And listen, God desires for you to experience joy and so this is, this is what he writes in John 15, verses 9 and 11. As the Father hath loved me, even so I have, uh, have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even if I, as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. We consider all of that together and we think about this idea of being joyful. And, and as even Paul wrote in the, just the introductory verses, these first five verses really are the introduction to this letter, uh, this epistle. And we see in these first five verses of the book of Philippians 
that he just has this, uh, uh, just a spirit of joy about him. The church in Philippi was not only experiencing a joyful Christian life, but they also brought joy to others. You know, isn't it great to be around people that bring you joy? Uh, you know, sometimes family reunions are not always that way. Sometimes family reunions are one of those things that we have to go to because we share the same name. But when we get to come to church, I, I find that oftentimes just being around people like yourself brings joy to my life. And, you know, that's, that's the type of church that Paul was writing off, uh, about. And so let's look here in these first five verses together. And let's, let's just kind of uh, understand the introduction here of the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Let us bow in prayer. Father, we are thankful for you. We are so thankful for the Word of God. Thank you for the book of Philippians, Lord, and just uh, the, uh, the joy that it inspires in the Christian's walk with you. And God, I know that in our congregation tonight, there are some that are going through circumstances that have them so heavy. Lord, their heart is, uh, is full and empty at the same time. And so, Father, I pray that the, the Word of God would minister grace unto the hearer, that, Lord, your Spirit would heal the broken, Lord, that you could heal those that are, that are hurting and those that are, uh, are joyful, Lord, that you would allow them to be able to share that joy with those around them. We thank you, Father, for this Word, and may it uh, bless, Lord, may you bless the reading of it and the remainder of the, the sermon tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here, there's three things that I want to pull out of these five verses here at the beginning. The first one is a reminder of church order. And so as Paul begins really the, be, the beginning of the, the book of Philippians, he just begins to remind them and point to some things. And so in this very first verse, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And so he's beginning to talk about a little bit of uh, the institution of the church here. Listen, the local church is God's institution to carry out the work uh, of the Great Commission today. Listen, God has called us to be able to do that. I like what Edward Hiscock said uh, in his book, The New Directory for Baptist Churches. It says this, The Christian church is the only divinely organized society of men. It was instituted for a purpose by Christ, who gave to it laws and an economy of methods and order by which to accomplish its sacred mission, and who still retains headship and kingship over it. A church is the society of Jesus. Its chief authority is given by Christ alone. The states cannot bestow it, nor legislatures, nor courts of civil jurisdiction, or princes, or parliaments, either bestow or annul the charter by right of which the churches of Christ exist and act. Nor can authority emanate from any ecclesiastical source since all ecclesiastical orders emanate from and grow out of the churches and are created by them. Popes, patriarchs, bishops, priests, synods, uh, assemblies, conventions, conferences, supposing they were scriptural, do not make churches, but are made by them. 
cannot invest, uh, invest churches with authority since they possess no antecedent authority in the premises but are invested by the churches directly or indirectly with all the authority they claim to possess. All rightful authority therefore is conferred by Christ, the King in Zion. He builds them. Upon this rock I will build my church, he commissions them. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He is personally ever with them, superintending and giving them access. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What he does not give is not possessed. What he does not sanction is not legitimate. What he does not bestow is a sacred trust to be guarded and used for his purpose and praise. This then is the source and only authoritative source of Christ's right of rule. It can assume none and derive none from any other source. Man, I'm thankful for his perspective on the church because ultimately we see that our authority comes from Jesus Christ. Our authority as a church doesn't come from uh, a convention or a conference or any of that nature. Our authority comes from Christ. And we're thankful that God has allowed us here as a, as a church to gather in His name tonight. And so as, as Philippians begins to write to this church, he says, look, uh, he says there is an order that, that God has set in order here. God doesn't uh, give people to build churches. He gives churches to build people. And so God can build the church without you or me, but we need the local church to build our lives. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I realize how desperately I need the church today. Years ago, a, a, in a revival meeting, a pastor uh, and an evangelist visited a family in the suburb, suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. There was a middle-aged man, met him at the door, and upon uh, they were talking to him about his relationship with the Lord. He informed him that he had been saved as a teenager. His brother-in-law, in fact, had led him to Christ, but he had, had been told that church was not important. And so for over 30 years, he had not bothered to attend a church for any kind of any kind. After a short time, I, he invited them inside the house and began to share the story of his life. And this is what he shared. He was an alcoholic and was at the time going through a recovery program. His wife, who was lying on the couch, was on the verge of her third nervous breakdown. He took, he took them outside to a patio and showed them the spot in the backyard where their oldest son had been killed by a neighbor who had shot him from an upstairs window while he played. He, he showed them the pictures on the mantle of another son who was in a hospital coming down from an overdose of drugs and a third son who was in the county jail for murder. As he relayed all of these events, a little 10-year-old girl stood by his side with her arms around him. And he asked the pastor there and the evangelist, he said, we were wondering what we could do to help this one turn out right. You know, you can't help but think this. If only someone would have told them about the church. If someone could have said, listen, the church doesn't solve the problems, but what it offers is an opportunity for people to come along beside you and walk with you through, the, through all the, uh, the turmoil of life. The church is something that I, I just know that Jesus Christ, he died for. He loved and he instituted. I'm thankful for the church tonight. What a difference it could have made in that man's life. Remember, the Word of God still says this in Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So Paul shows us really three groups here of people in this opening verse that make the local church what God wants it to be. And so in verse, the first one in verse part, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. So we see first the servants of God. 
and recognize Paul. And he wrote, refers to himself as a servant. And, you know, obviously, we might tend to think that this is just the apostle's modesty. But in reality, there's no higher calling on earth than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater thing we can do with our life other than saying, listen, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. There's no title that's greater than being able to say, I am a servant of Christ. And so Paul, as, as he and Timotheus together uh, sat down and they began to pen these words, Paul said, listen, I am a servant of Christ. Nothing else, nothing greater, nothing, nothing more super, just a simple servant. Listen, we live in an age where people uh, want to come to church and they want to be entertained, don't they? Uh, you know, uh, we've got uh, fancy lights and we have uh, fancy, uh, sometimes smoke and lasers and all kinds of stuff. I don't know. I've not been to that stuff, obviously. But, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in what can the church do for me? And we forget that it's really what can I do for the Lord? How can I serve God today? And tonight I'm talking to one of the, some of the, uh, the godliest people in our church, and I'm not beating you up or trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just reminding you that we live in a society today that says, listen, entertain me or else. Listen, let's, let's let the Word of God do its word and let's do, it, do, do its job and permeate our lives. Remember what the purpose of our own Savior was as He came in, in Matthew 28, uh, 20 and verse 28. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You see, Christ's purpose for coming was to minister. Uh, as a church, we're, our purpose is to minister and to continue to, to reach out to the world around us. Culture today emphasizes self-esteem. They emphasize self-image and self-confidence. We buy iPhones and all this other stuff. We read self-magazine. But the Bible says this in Romans 15 and verse 3. He says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Listen, he didn't come to, for his own fulfillment. He came for the Father's fulfillment. Joy is not found in getting something out of church. Joy is found in, give, in giving something to the church in service to God. Man, what, a, what an opportunity God gives us every time we gather together. Let me give. Let me, let me be an opportunity to be a joyful influence on those around me. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 says, And I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul and Timothy were glad to give of themselves. And we see this not just in Philippians, but as we go through Thessalonians on Sunday nights, we see that in, in, in that. But listen, Paul declares, in, even in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. He says, that's our calling. That's our mission, to continue to serve. Oh, I'm so thankful for our missionaries. I'm thankful for those, the evangelists. I'm thankful for our Christian workers. I'm thankful for pastors that have been able to sit under in the past. I'm thankful for, for these who have helped make the church what it is today. But each of us within the local church tonight, God's calling us to desire to continue to minister to others. He says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. We're all servants. 
God's called you and me and said, let's be a servant in this respect. And so in Romans chapter 12, God lists various gifts that He gives to people in the use of the local church. And, and even in that list, we see that, that role of serving others. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, He says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know, uh, let me ask you this. Have you prayed for someone in church today? Have you prayed for, uh, for your Sunday school teacher? Or have you prayed for uh, those around you? Uh, are you faithfully telling others about Christ? You know, that's what God's called us to do. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. The joy of the Christian life comes in service rather than selfishness. Man, that's where it's at. Man, you're struggling with joy in your life, struggling trying to find uh, that elusive happiness that the world talks about. Let me just in, in point you back to the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, choose to be in service to the Lord. He goes on in the next part, and he talks about the, the next uh, portion. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Paul addresses all of those who are in Christ Jesus as saints. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes I don't feel very saintly, uh, but God, it, 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 He calls us saints. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He says that you, we are saints. The Roman Catholic Church, uh, is uh, they just take a select few and they call them saints. And it's not usually until after years after they're dead. But we notice that here, even in the, in the moment uh, when these folks have trusted Christ as your Savior, we see that He calls them saints. He says, uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Paul makes it clear in his greeting to the church, even at Corinth, the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 2. It says, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. You see, as Paul greets the church at Philippi, he addresses it, he addresses it to all the saints. Thank God that the ground is level at the cross. That whosoever will may come is what the Bible says. And you know, it, it doesn't matter our, our background or our past because God discriminates against no one. And so once saved, one is not more important than the other. We are all equally saints in Christ Jesus. If we aren't careful, we can get the idea that some people are more important in the church because they give more, uh, are up front more, they sing more, or they do this more. And Paul warns against such, such comparisons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12. He says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that condemn themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And so he warns against that. And he goes on later in the chapter in verses 17 and 18. He says, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For he that commendeth himself is approved, but who, uh, whom the Lord commendeth. And so let us do that together. Let's say, listen, let's give God the glory for what happens. Let's give God the glory for when good things happen to others. And you know, uh, we will know better. I think that when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised by who is exalted and rewarded for their faithful service. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let us keep that in mind as we consider this to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Every saint is saved to serve. 
There's a song that says, Give then the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of man, but for the Lord. That should be our desire. And then we see one last little group of folks that he's talking to here. He says, With the bishops and deacons. And just to keep with our our theme here, uh, the selected of God. God has designated leaders within the local church. And Paul mentions uh, these and two offices of the local church. And let me just remind you, this is one of our Baptist distinctives, that there's two offices in the local church. The, uh, the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon. Uh, in the Bible, you'll hear pastors referred to as uh, bishops and deacons, uh, or, or excuse me, bishops and elders. And so let me just remind you that this is one of the two offices that God has called for in, this, in the church. I'm thankful for our deacons that serve in the church. I'm thankful that they have, through this year, uh, each of them have, have served and given of themselves, and some have, have gone above and beyond measure uh, from the, of the call of duty, and I'm thankful for their service to the Lord, and I hope that you take time and pray for our deacons. Uh, our deacons, uh, we've seen uh, them experience great spiritual and physical attack even in their families this year, and I hope that you take time to say thank you for serving our church. Thank you for, uh, for, uh, for what they do in prayer and leadership in our church. And, and really, I hope that you will take time as we, as we talk about uh, bishops and deacons here, that, that you will pray and commit to praying for, uh, for both your pastor and your deacons. There's, there's strict qualifications for that of a pastor and a deacon. As, and, and honestly, we're coming up to the end of the year, and, and as we come to the end of the year, we typically have a deacon elections, and we'll elect two new deacons here in January. And so... Let me just remind you as we uh, draw close to that, there's two passages of Scripture I want you to, to just uh, mark and maybe write down in your notes there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 deals with the offices of the bishop and the deacon. And then Titus 1 and verses 6 through 9. And these are the qualifications that God lays out in the Word of God for those offices. God has given these men great responsibility and, and they must be accountable to God at judgment for, uh, for that for what God has called them to. And so as we consider that, moving forward as a church, let me encourage you to take time to pray about, uh, about those, that election in January, but also uh, we're looking for recommendations as well. I'll just put that plug in there. The sooner we get it, the easier it is for me. To, I don't have to uh, wait till the last minute. We can actually get little bios and things like that done, and so uh, we are going to be requesting that sooner this year than later. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28 This is what God instructs the the pastors and the deacons. And he says, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. As members of the church, we need to be continually praying for those in leadership. I appreciate so much those who uh, encourage uh, and text me. Every Sunday morning, nearly four or five texts come across my phone praying for you, Pastor. Man, that, that means a lot uh, to be able to, to know that God has uh, laid uh, that ministry upon the heart of, of people. And, and I've heard of others that have shared with their ministry of prayer. What a blessing that is. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And Hebrews 13 and verse 17, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
Dr. John Rice used to tell a story of being invited to preach a revival meeting uh, for a, a really godly pastor. And, and several months prior to the meeting, Dr. Rice and the pastor corresponded a, about a date that would work out for those meetings in both of their schedules. And finally, a week was agreed upon, and, and uh, the, the next Sunday, the pastor got up at the close of the service and, said, and made the announcement that Brother Rice was going to be with us on such and such date. And as he did so, one of the deacons in the church stood to his feet and began walking down the center of the aisle. And he pointed his finger at the pastor and said, over my dead body, we'll have rice in this church. The pastor was obviously pretty shocked and there was opposition and not really knowing what to do or to say. He simply closed the service in prayer. Months passed and the pastor said nothing more to the congregation about the revival meeting, but behind the scenes planned the meetings as normal. And, and, uh, and he never told Dr. Rice about what had happened. The meetings were to start Monday night and Dr. Rice uh, uh, liked to get to the meeting early and so he arrived at the church about 11 o'clock the Monday, Monday morning. And as he got, he, he saw that the church parking lot was filled the, the, the man, he was just, I thought, what in the world is going on? He had to park two blocks down in order to get a parking spot, in order to get, walk to the church. And so he parked his car, walked through, and as he, as he walked into, he saw that it was a funeral service. You know where this is going. Dr. Rice said he looked toward the front of the church, and he saw a casket there. He learned that it was that deacon that had said, over my dead body, and above it, a banner which said, Welcome, Dr. John R. Rice. You know, that's a, that's a sad testimony, isn't it? Man, how we need to pray for, how we need to honor, we need to uh, just allow the Lord to let us to follow the leadership that God places over us. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. And I'm grateful for great pastors that have made an impact on my life. Appreciate so much Pastor Tolbert. What a difference he made in my life as a young man. I appreciate Pastor Gary Webster. He was, I had one other, other pastor before him, but Brother Webster was really the one that inspired me to follow the Lord's leadership in my life more than any other pastor probably. And as a young man, I remember going to Mexico with him on a missions trip. And, and as we went down to Mexico, you know, you get in the church bus and you're talking about different things. And someone asked, well, who are the two most influential people in your life? And as a teenager, I said, my dad and my pastor. I'm thankful for good pastors. I'm thankful for these men who had an impact in my life. Listen, we live in a day when anarchy is popular, when people reject leadership in all of its forms, but God still calls us to hold to the biblical authorities in our life. I believe that there is a direct connection between the rise in rebellion and the rise in the lack of joy in people's lives. Perhaps it's time for us to come back to like Philippians chapter 1 and to see that God has a plan for the church and it's not anarchy and it's not a rebellion, but it's time to say, Lord, let me be thankful in all things.